So with pastor being home with Miss Kathy, y'all are stuck with me. Yeah, I'm telling you. A couple weeks ago, myself and, and several others from the church, we, we did a mission trip to Honduras. So look out, I'm fresh off a mission trip, you're in trouble. It, it, was, it was just a great week. Uh, I'm not going to go into too many details tonight. We're, we have a special uh, thing set up for us to share some testimonies here in a couple weeks. But, but here's the thing. When, when I was on that mission trip, and the nine of us actually, there were nine of us that went from the Turning Point Church team, part of what we do is we go into churches, and we, and we have an opportunity to preach to the people of Honduras. And I had that opportunity on the Tuesday night we were there, and as I was thinking about tonight, the Lord just really impressed me to, to share that same message. It's not going to be exactly the same, but to share the same context of what I shared that night uh, there in Honduras. So you're getting a fresh word straight out of Honduras tonight, uh, but it's coming straight from the word. Uh, and, and it's, I'm calling this the fear factor. I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I don't know what's going on in your life. Uh, obviously, in our family here at Turning Point Church, we're facing some challenges. And a lot of times when we face challenges, the number one thing that pops up is fear. So tonight, I want to take a look at fear, the fear factor, how it affects us, but also how we can overcome fear. And, and it's not just an overcoming, it's how does God use that fear in our lives to, to reveal to us some things that are in us that need to change. And if you go with me to Matthew chapter 8, there's a really interesting story. And I'm sure you all are familiar with this. It's the story of, of the disciples when they get in the boat with Jesus and, and they head on out and Jesus falls asleep. And he's asleep in the boat and the storm comes up. And this is a story that involves fear. So let me read this to you real quick. It's starting in verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, and I'm reading out of the New King James. If you don't have your Bibles, we've got it up there on the screen. Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed, them, followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? So here you see the disciples with Jesus. And this is actually very early on in their, their relationship with Jesus. Uh, Matthew 8 is just a couple chapters after the Sermon on the Mount. You know, Jesus calls his disciples the Sermon on the Mount. He's done a couple miracles. But this is early on in their relationship with Jesus. So they have not had a lot of experience one-on-one -on -one with him over time. And now there's a whole bunch more that obviously is going to occur. But... They all get into this boat, and they're, and they're just still trying to figure this whole thing out. You know, we're following Jesus. We've given up everything, and, and we're just kind of following Jesus. And where is this going to go? Where are we going to go? How is this going to end up? So they get in the boat, and there they go, off, in, off into the sea, and Jesus falls asleep. Now, 
on the surface before the storm comes up, no big deal that Jesus is asleep. Now, these are fishermen. These are professional fishermen. They've been on the, they've been on the water many, many, many times. No doubt they've been through many different storms. So when this, this story unfolds and this storm comes up, it's not just a little old storm that, you know, you know, if you're not used to being out on the sea, you're in a boat and it starts rocking, you're like, whoop, get me out of here. No, these guys are on the, on the water all the time. And they're, they're used to storms. They're used to that type of context. So for them to get to the point where they think it's over, we're perishing, this is a serious storm. It, it's not a minor thing. This is a major storm that is bigger than probably something they've ever experienced or they've heard about to the point where they're thinking, this is it. We're, we're going we're gonna to drown. And the interesting thing about this story is when they go to Jesus. Now, it says that the tempest came up suddenly, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like they were standing there and all of a sudden, bam, it's instant. It, obviously, it built, the wind built up and it started raining and, it's, and it built up at some, over some period of time. But they didn't call on Jesus when they first started noticing the weather. Now, again, they're professional fishermen. These guys would know, okay, there's a storm coming. They're not just sitting there out in the, out, out in the boat going, hey, you know, that, where'd this wind come from? What's that mean? They know there's a storm coming. Now, they may not have known it was going to be this type of major storm, but they knew a storm was coming. And as it started coming up, no doubt they did whatever precautions they normally do when a storm comes. Whatever preparations they did with the boat, they did those things. And they kept doing them until those things didn't work anymore. See, they didn't go to Jesus the second the storm started. They did what they normally did, which was they did whatever they could do to save the boat. They did whatever they could do to ride the storm. They did whatever they could do to work through it. But when they got to the end of that, then they had no choice. They had nothing left. And it brought, it to the, brought them to the end of themselves. And now all of a sudden, uh, somebody go wake up Jesus. And isn't that true in our lives? How many times have we gotten into circumstances or situations or things in our lives where things, you know, they're kind of off? Eh, you know, it's, things just aren't going well. But we do what we can do. We try and handle what we can handle. We try and do the things that we know to do. And we keep doing those things, and the storm gets bigger. And the boat starts rocking more. And the waves start getting bigger. And it rains even more. And we keep doing those things as much as we can do until we get to the end of ourselves. See, one of the things that the disciples learned in this storm was how inadequate they were. They learned how inadequate they were. But it took until they got to the end of themselves. See, here's the thing. A lot of times we don't want to admit we're inadequate. We're not willing to admit, I can't do it. Because that pride in us comes up and says, if I can't do it, that means I'm not good enough. 
because we tend to draw our identity from our ability. And if I can't do it, and I admit I can't do it, then I am admitting I'm no good. See, that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. If I'm in Jesus, if I am a Christian, if I have received that free gift of the gospel, it doesn't matter what I can or can't do. That's irrelevant. Who I am is who I become in Him. It has nothing to do with my ability. But the disciples hadn't figured that out yet. And unfortunately, a lot of us in the Christian world haven't figured that out yet either. So we're just like the disciples. Things aren't going right in my marriage, or things aren't going right on my job, or, you know, I, I know I'm drinking too much, or, you know, I'm kind of dabbling around with a little porn, but, you know, it's not a big deal at the moment. I can handle this. I know the steps to do. I know the things I can fix. So I'll just keep doing it the way I know how to do it. And then the storm gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and all of a sudden, we're standing in a boat that's sinking, and we can't save ourselves which is exactly what God was trying to tell us in the first place. Because that's the truth. We cannot save ourselves. See, in the midst of them discovering their inadequacy, they discovered his sufficiency. Because when they went to him and said, hey, we're about to sink, Jesus didn't look up at them and roll over and go, oh, wake me up when you're done. Wake me up when, we, when we're underwater. Immediately, he responded to their call. Here's what I want to know. Is as soon as the wind started coming and they realized, you know, there's a storm coming, what if they had woken him up at the beginning? Would he have rolled over and said, well, wait until you're sinking and then call me? No. I guarantee you, at the very beginning, if they had gone to him and said, hey, there's a storm coming. What do we need to do? I guarantee you he would have got up and he would have done what only he could do. And he would have had them rely on him instead of their own ability. And that whole episode from the storm beginning to them being so filled with fear that they finally turned to Jesus would have been totally unnecessary. We would have missed that whole thing because they would have, had they gone to him and said, look, we, we're professional fishermen, we've been through storms before, and, but you know what? We're learning as we walk with you that we're totally inadequate. And here's what happens a lot of times. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we think we can take over. I mean, seriously. We think, oh, wow, look what God did over this. You know, and this... Oh, okay, God, I got this one. I'll go take care of this. And we end up sinking. And, you know, God's just waiting over there for us to come back and go, hey, <laughs> I need your help. Oh, okay, I know you need my help, but I need you to know you need my help. And a lot of times the Lord brings these things to the surface through storms. Now, I don't believe God is the one who orchestrated the storm, but he allowed it. He allowed that storm to demonstrate to the disciples they were totally inadequate and that Jesus was totally sufficient. We have got to be willing to humble ourselves before God. 
if we're not willing to humble ourselves before God, we cannot learn of His sufficiency, our inadequacy, but in the midst of all that, the grace of the gospel in us to stand in the midst of a storm despite our inadequacy. Because they didn't sink. Jesus didn't get up and go, you guys are toast. I'm out of here and walk off on the water. Because he could have done that. He walked on the water later, but he didn't do it here. Why? Because he loved them. And he loves us. And he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He never will. No matter how big the storm and no matter whether or not it's a storm of our own creation. This storm in the lives of the disciples was not of their own creation. It's not like they were watching Channel 8 and they said, oh, there's a huge tempest coming up. Well, we'll just go out there and get in the middle of it. They didn't know it was coming. It was not a storm of their own creation. Now, a lot of times we create storms in our own lives because we just make dumb decisions. And whoops, a storm, where'd that come from? Well, I can tell you where it came from. You go all the way back right there when you made this decision to go that way, and it ends up in a storm. But here's the great thing. It doesn't matter if it's a storm of your own creation. Jesus still is waiting for you to call on him. Because in the midst of that storm, he can still stand up and declare peace. Here's the thing about Jesus being asleep in the boat. The storm and the circumstances made no difference to him because the peace of God is not dictated by circumstance. Oftentimes, our peace is driven by circumstance, but God's peace is not dictated by circumstance. You know what it's dictated by? It's dictated by the the knowledge and the reality that he is sovereign over all things that he is in control, that as just as we, we sang a few minutes ago, he is on the throne. In the good times and bad, he is on the throne. No matter what, no matter what we see, no matter what we feel, no matter what we hear, God is sovereign and he is in control and he has a plan. So in the midst of this storm, I mean, Jesus could literally stand up in the middle of this hurricane, and he just says, stop. And what does it do? It stopped. It stopped. In the worst of circumstances, Jesus spoke, and everything calmed down. It's not important that the circumstances changed. What's important is the disciples changed. The storm, was, it wasn't about stopping a storm, because there were more storms. There's still, we still have storms today. It's not about stopping the storms. It's about changing the character and relationship of his people. That's what God is after. That's why he allowed them to go through that circumstance is because he was after something in them to change. And that's why in our lives, he allows things to occur. He's not interested in destroying us. He promises that. 
There's only one that's here to destroy us, and that's the enemy. Jesus wants to build us up, and he wants to create in us a character that is rock solid, that is not, that is not tossed to and fro by every wind that comes, comes along, that no matter what happens, it can sleep in the middle of a storm, just like him. Because he knew. It didn't matter how big the waves were. It didn't matter how much water was getting in the boat. He knew, God has a plan for me, and that plan will come about. The enemy can't do anything to stop that plan, and I know the plan is not for me to die right today, so I'm going to sleep. I don't care what happens around me. That's the confidence we can have in Jesus. That no matter what happens, he's got a plan. And nothing and no one can thwart that plan. No matter what we think or feel or see, all those things are irrelevant to the will of God because none of them can stop it. Let me share with you a a modern-day story of a storm and God literally declaring peace in the middle of that storm. As I said, we were in Honduras a couple weeks ago. We came back on July 31st. And we were there the whole week before. Uh, I was, we were with Light of Life International, Stephen Evans. If, if you've followed my Facebook before, you've seen that on there. And uh, for those of you who don't know Stephen Evans, Stephen Evans is the founder of Light of Life International. He was Reinhard Bonnke's right-hand man for a season. If you don't know who Reinhard Bonnke is, go Google him. You'll get 8 million, <laughs> 8 million hits on him. Anyways, I don't want to go all that. But nonetheless, we were there for that week. And part of the preparation for a, a crusade week, and what we do is we go in and we, we bless. Uh, in, in this particular case, it was an island. It literally was an island off the coast of Honduras. The Ro- Roatan was called the island. And we went throughout the island. We went to different homes, blessing them with food and, and stuffed animals for kids. And then at night, we went and preached in the churches. And then on Friday and Saturday night, we held mass crusades. If you've ever seen a Billy Graham crusade, this is, this is the type of crusade that we're talking about. Thousands of people, um, Stephen up there just preaching the gospel and, and uh, the Holy Spirit moving. We literally saw multitudes of people healed, saved, and delivered in Jesus' name. That is the type of week that we saw while we were there. And I've got eight other people who can testify to it. It's not just me this time. <laughs> Anyways... During that week, or actually before that week, for 40 days before that week, there were thousands of intercessors from five different countries praying over Roatan for that week. While we were there that week, a a team of intercessors went up in in a small little airplane and flew the entire perimeter of the island. The island is about five miles wide and about 40 miles long. It's It's not big at all. So a team went up in an airplane, flew the entire perimeter, of the island praying over it and dumped out seven gallons of anointing oil over the entire island. Yeah. It was awesome. It was great. Now, say all that to say this. We left on July 31st. Stephen and the, and the core leadership team, they usually stay a few extra days just to rest and recover. So part of the team left on Monday, which would have been August 1st. The other part left on Tuesday, which would have been August 2nd. Now, Stephen was planning to leave. He, his wife, was there, 
and our, and our crusade director, Dennis, who lives in Honduras, just not on the island. He lives on the mainland. They're all staying until Wednesday night. Now, on Tuesday, the forecasters were telling them that Hurricane Earl, at that time it was still a tropical storm, was on a direct path for Roatan. I just, I mean, it was making a beeline straight for Roatan. They said by the time it gets there, it'll be a full-fledged hurricane, <clears throat> and, and it, it's, you're going to get hammered. So Tuesday, they went to the airport and asked, you know, hey, what's the status for flights getting out on Wednesday? Because the, the hurricane was supposed to hit on Wednesday. The airline said, well, we're pretty much canceling all flights to, to the States, so they thought, okay, well, maybe we can get onto the mainland on, on Wednesday, at least fly inland, and we'll stay on the mainland. So they went to the airport early Wednesday morning at 5 a.m. They get there, and the airline's basically said, nope, airport's closed. Nobody's going anywhere. So they said, all right, well, we're stuck. And the pastors of the island were telling them, look, <laughs> we don't have building codes like in the States. We're not prepared for a major hurricane. If a hurricane comes through this island, I mean, it's only five miles wide, so you had storm surge, everything. We are going to get devastated if this thing hits this island. So uh, fortunately, we, where we stayed was in a hotel that was concrete, and it was, it was de designated a hurricane shelter, so they stayed right where they were. Stephen comes home, watches some more news, and they said, you know, it's a level, it's a Category 1 hurricane. And, I mean, it's right through the middle of that island. So he ends up falling asleep just because he'd been up late. And anyways, a few hours later, he wakes up expecting for, you know, everything to be going crazy outside. He wakes up, and it's just perfectly calm outside. And he's like, what? So he turns the weather on, and he said, <laughs> he showed me, and I, I should have gotten a copy of this off his phone, but he showed me on his phone a picture of the TV screen. Because the weather forecaster he had been watching earlier was trying to describe to the audience what was happening. Of course, describe it from a, a, a non-spiritual perspective. Because the, the forecaster was saying this. Okay, here's, this is Honduras here. It goes and cuts north. This is east and west, north. Here's Belize over here, Honduras here, and this would be Roatan right there. And the, the hurricane was originally heading straight for that island. The, the forecaster said, I, I, he said, I don't know how to describe this. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, but what's happening is there is what he called a dry air barrier formed right in front of Roatan. <laughs> and as that dry air barrier formed, the hurricane did this. It was like it bounced off that dry air barrier, completely missed Roatan. And in the meantime, not only did it miss Roatan as far as the main hurricane, all the rain bands went around the island onto the mainland. <laughs> he said he woke up. He said there was, there was hardly any, maybe a few drops of rain, no wind. He said you could have gone golfing. And you would, had you not known there was a hurricane 60 miles off the coast, you wouldn't have even known. Now, the, the weather forecaster didn't know how to describe it. Stephen knew how to describe it to me. He said, we've been praying over this island. We have anointed this island. And there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Jesus stood up and said, peace and be still. And 
uh, I, will, I will gladly give you his Facebook, and he will confirm that story. Because <laughs> he was there, and, and it ha- he, I, I just had lunch with him on Monday, and he told me that story. There it is. I mean, but here's the thing. The Jesus that the disciples experienced, the Jesus that Stephen experienced, is the Jesus that's here tonight. It's the exact same Jesus. God is not geographically limited. He is not geographically challenged. His arm has not been shortened as Isaiah, or as he said to Isaiah, my arm has not been shortened that I can no longer save. So I don't know what storm you're in tonight. That same Jesus is just waiting for you to call on him. He's just waiting for you to call on him. So in the context of that story of the disciples, the first thing it showed them was their inadequacy. They're totally inadequate. It also demonstrated his sufficiency. But also in that whole thing, it it revealed to them that there was something in them that needed to change. And here's the thing. In all of us, there's things that need to change. The Christian life is not about perfection. It's about progress over time through consistency. That's what the Christian life is all about. If anybody tries to tell you it's perfection, you just just reject it in Jesus' name. Okay? (laughs) Perfection is coming. It's just not here. Okay? When Jesus returns, he will restore all things, and now now we can look at perfection. But for today, it's progress over time through consistency, which means we will always be progressing forward. We will always be changing. I love the way Henry Blackaby puts it in his book, Experiencing God. You cannot stay the way you are and go with God at the same time. And that's not a one-time change. It's a consistency. No matter how much your life has changed, you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. It doesn't matter how far you come with God. I cannot stay the way I am and go with God at the same time. Stephen Evans, who's literally preaching to nations, cannot stay the way he is and go with God at the same time. Billy Graham cannot stay the way he is and go with God at the same time. None of us can go with God and stay the way we are at the same time. It's impossible. So as that storm rose up on that sea, here's what it did. It revealed in the disciples fear. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Where is this fear coming from? And here's what happened. See, in all of us, there's fear. And that fear comes from sin. Now, I'm not talking the feeling of fear. That's different. Uh, Let me hit on this real quick so I can separate these two. There's a difference between the feeling of fear and the action of fear. Feeling, feelings, God gave us feelings. Those are God-given, okay? I think a lot of times we, we connect the two together. If I feel something, that means it's wrong. I shouldn't feel this. 
Perfect examples. Most of you know I used to be a police officer. When I first hit the streets as a police officer and I started making traffic stops by myself, I was out of training, I was all by myself in that car. You talk about fear. You think you're afraid when you're sitting in a car and getting pulled over? How about that cop who's a rookie? <laughs> you have no idea what's going through his mind because they told me everything that could possibly go wrong in the academy on a traffic stop. And I'm guaranteeing you, as I'm walking up to that car for the very first time by myself, all those tapes are running through my mind of what can happen. You know, it's probably just some little old lady who forgot to use their train signal, but I'm thinking maybe it's Osama bin Laden or some axe murderer is going to get out with an AK-47 and mow me down. I don't know. And I'm up there forcing my, you know, one foot in front of the other to get up to that car because I'm so afraid. Ten years later, when I went to make a traffic stop, that same feeling of fear was still there, but its influence over me had been radically reduced. Why? Because I had 10 years of training and experience to back up my ability despite the fear. Here's the thing. The feeling isn't the problem. It's acting on that feeling that is the problem. Jesus didn't rebuke their feeling of fear. He rebuked their acting in fear because of their circumstances. Big difference. Big difference. Just because a circumstance comes into your life and you feel fear is not sin. But when you make decisions based on that fear, now we're into sin. That's a huge difference. And as Christians, we mix the two, we constantly mix these up. And we think, if I even feel fear, or if I feel doubt, then I'm sinning. And I might as well just go ahead and do it and walk because I'm already failed. And it's not the truth. The feeling is very different than the action. We have a mind, we have emotions, and we have a will. Pastor Jeff puts it this way. It's our, our feeler, our picker, and our thinker. All of us have broken feelers, pickers, and thinkers. Trust me, they're all broken because they're infected with that sin sickness. And here's the thing. This, this right here is the gateway to action. It's our will. It's our choice to do something. Our mind or what we think, our emotions or what we feel provide data, if you will, to our will. It can be good or it can be bad. Now, here's the problem. The problem comes in when we either have no filter and we give unfettered access to our will to what we think or feel. You ever meet somebody who just speaks before they even know what they're saying? <laughs> I mean, they're like, why would you say that? What did I say? What did I, what did I do? Hey, you know, it's just, whoop, there's no filter, baby. It's just, I, I said it and then I thought it. How does that work? <laughs> or you know exactly what they're feeling because it's dictating what they're doing. It's an unfettered act. This our will is separate from those two, and unfortunately, as human beings, we tend to put them together. We give unfettered access to our will, to our mind, and our emotions. And this is what happened with the disciples. 
They had that, their, their feeling of fear and their thoughts. We've never been able to, or we've been able to overcome a storm before, but we can't overcome this one. And obviously, the only way we can see getting out of this is if we die. That's the thoughts and all that going on in their minds and the feelings that are backed up by that. And now they act on those two things. They go to Jesus, not in faith, to say, hey, Jesus, can you, uh, we were having a good time. Would you mind taking care of the, you know, we'd just like to get back to relaxing. No, they went to him and said, we're perishing. Who told them they were perishing? When Adam and Eve were hiding in the bushes, and God said, hey, where are you at? Adam said, well, we hid because we were naked. What did he ask him? Who told you you were naked? <laughs> I didn't tell you that. Who said that? And who told the disciples they were perishing? Nobody told them that, except for their mind and their emotions. It's the only logical conclusion they could come to. And oftentimes we come to our own logical conclusions of how things are going to work out, and we act based on that instead of acting based on the truth of Jesus. See, the truth was sitting right there. He was asleep in the boat. The truth was God is with them, and there's nothing going to go wrong with Jesus in the boat. But they didn't act based on the truth. They asked based on what they thought and what they saw and, and how they felt. So here's, here's what happened. That fear that was in them came out through their will. It dictated their action. And when you are controlled by your will and your emotions without that filter of truth, You're, you're no good to the kingdom because you're not going to make a logic. You're not going to make a spiritual decision. You're going to make a decision that's based on self-preservation, which is what the disciples were doing. Amen. And self-preservation is a pretty powerful motivator. Believe me, as a cop, I've seen a lot of people trying to preserve themselves <laughs> in ways that are just absolutely, literally just awe-inspiring. A guy rolled his car one time running from the cops. I mean, if I roll my car, the first, the first thing on my mind is not how do I get out of here and run. It's what in the world just happened? Am I dead? <laughs> this guy gets up. He runs and just takes off. So now it's a foot chase. And when they finally catch him, they find out he's running on a broken leg. How does that happen? Because self-preservation is a very powerful thing. And if we're more interested in taking action on our fears to preserve ourselves, we've completely forgotten about Jesus. And we've completely forgotten about the things of God. And we're going to go out and, we're, you know, it's like letting go of a balloon. It's just all over the place. And that's where the disciples were. And that's what the Lord was trying to tell them. Look, why are you so afraid? I'm right here. Nothing's going to happen. I've got this. I've got you. What we need 
is a filter. We can't stop all the, the, the emotions, and we can't always stop all the negative thinking. But what we can do is run it through a filter. What's the filter? It's the Word of God. That's the filter. It's the Bible. It's the truth. For thy word is truth. If this becomes our filter, when we feel something or think something that is contrary to the truth, this will tell us. This will tell us. You know what? You know, that's not true. That's not true. You know, I walked into this room and they, they kind of looked at me weird. And they, I don't think they like me. I think that nobody ever likes me. I'm, I've, I've always been a loser all my life and they'll never accept me. Really? What does the Bible say about you? What does the gospel say about you? Is that true from God's perspective? Or is it based solely on your thought? You ever been driving down the street and somebody cuts you off and you create this entire person in this car and give them, uh, you create their life? You know, oh, this guy's been doing it all his life and he saw me like three miles ago and he's after me. Oh, there, you, and you create the intentions and the motivations and he's probably, uh, he probably, you know, does all these other things that, that really bad people do. And you end up driving by at some little old ladies who can barely see over the scenery. <laughs> Yet in your mind, Amen. so you, you've created this whole scenario that's a lie. Amen. And how many times do we do that in our lives? It's not on the highway, it's on the highway of life. Amen. Where we create these lies, we then believe them, they cause fear and negative thinking, and we give those unfettered access to our will, and we take action on that will, and we end up going, how did I get in this storm? Well, let me take you all the way back. We have got to get to the place where we allow the filter of the Word of God to dictate our actions. If we don't have a filter, we're in trouble. And unfortunately, most Christians don't have a filter. Yes, the gospel has saved us. Yes, the gospel has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light of the Lord. But this needs to be developed. It has to be developed. It's that progress over time through consistency how do you do that? Well, you got to be in the Word. <laughs> you got to be in the Word. And if you've ever heard me uh, teach, you know I'm going to end up right back here. <laughs> you got to be in the Word every single day. If you are not in the Word, you, your filter, if you have one, is getting dirty. The only way. This filter is a supernatural thing. It's not an intellectual thing. I'm not talking about doctrine and theology. That's a whole other story. Is doctrine and theology good? Absolutely. I'm not saying you have to have a master's degree in theology. I'm saying you need to be reading the Word every single day. That's all I'm saying. 
we're starting a Bible college and seminary. I don't, I'm not saying you need to go to Bible college or seminary. I'm saying you need to read the Word of God every day. That's all I'm saying. That's it. But we don't do it. 90 plus percent of Christians do not read the Word of God every day. We just don't do it. And then we, when, when things happen and we don't have a filter, we're wondering, why do, man, why do I keep making all these dumb decisions? Because you don't have a filter. And it, it's not an intellectual thing. It's a supernatural thing. Don't allow the enemy to keep you out of the book because he tells you you can't understand it. That's what most Christians do. They get in this thing and they say, you know what, I heard Pastor Brendan, I heard Pastor Jeff, I heard Tony Evans. Uh, Are they reading the same book? Because I'm not, man, I read Leviticus and I can't, I think it's in Hebrew. (laughs) I don't get anything like that out of it. And the enemy says, you're just an idiot. You're no good. You're not, you know all the stuff you've done in your life, no wonder you can't get anything out of this book. And then we create this person, instead of it being somebody else, it's us. We create this lie that we believe and look at in the mirror and go, yeah, that's me. No wonder I can't understand any of this. And we put it on the shelf. And we believe the lie instead of the truth. Because the truth is, I, no matter who, me, Pastor Jeff, Dr. Tony Evans, no matter what great theologian, you cannot understand this book apart from revelation from the Holy Spirit. I don't care how intellectually smart you are. You can have a 13 PhDs in rocket science. You cannot understand this book apart from revelation of the Holy Spirit. And revelation from the Holy Spirit is not dependent on your intellectual ability. It's dependent on your faithfulness in getting in the Word every single day. Because as you get in the Word every day, over time, you go, whoa, where'd that come from? I wasn't in there last time. I know I've read this book, and that ain't there before. You know why I wasn't there before? Because he hadn't revealed it to you yet. Because it wasn't the right time. It's not because you're an idiot. It's because he knows what you need when you need it. And you didn't need that back then. You need it today. You've got to be in the Word every day. So when the disciples... We're at that boat. It revealed to them they didn't have a filter. But when they saw Jesus calm that storm, guess what began to be developed? Ooh, a little filter. And here's the thing. That one lesson in the boat was not an isolated lesson. It wasn't just for that it prepared them for what was about to happen. Because when they got out of the boat, the storm stops and they get to the other side and they get out of the boat. What happens? They encounter the, the Gadarene demoniac. 
It's the first time the disciples come face to face with somebody who's demon possessed. Did they run for the hills? No. What did they do? They stood right behind Jesus. <laughs> I'll stand right here, baby. Go get them, Jesus. Come on. Why didn't they run? I, were they afraid? I'm sure they were because they had heard about this guy. And they knew that they, they, they fully understood the spiritual side of things. They're, they're Jews. They know there's a devil. And they know he has power. But guess what? They just saw Jesus calm the wind and the, and the waves. And all of a sudden, they go, you know what? Uh, okay, I may be thinking this, I may be feeling this, but I know him. And I'm going to make my decisions now based on what I just saw him do. So I'm going to stand right here, baby. And I'm going to, because y'all are about to see something. <laughs> and sure enough, Jesus did what only Jesus can do. And as Jesus changes you, as Jesus transforms you, it's to prepare you for what's next. You see, each and every one of us is created on purpose for a purpose. Every single person in this room has a kingdom destiny. But it's dependent on you allowing Jesus to transform you. You cannot walk into your destiny the way you are today. I cannot walk into my destiny the way I am today. There's things that in my life need to change. There's some things I, I know. There's some things I haven't even been aware of yet that over time God will bring to the surface. It's like a spiritual x-ray. He brings it to the surface and says, hey, this is in you. And just like a doctor who gives you an x-ray and there's something on that x-ray, he doesn't condemn you over it. Go, oh, you're an idiot. Look at this on your x-ray. What's wrong with you? No. He says, hey, you got this in you. I want to get it out. Jesus already knew about it. It's not a surprise to him, and it's a surprise to me when he brings it up. Go, where did that come from? Well, it's been around for a while there, Brendan. I just didn't want to tell you. But now that you know, let's get rid of it. And you know how, you know how Jesus gets rid of it? The only way Jesus can, by his power. The worst thing I can do is go, oh, well, okay, I'll be right back, Jesus. Let me go work on this. No. It's by his power. Because only Jesus can transform you. Only Jesus can transfer. I don't care how, how many self-help books you read. I don't care how many Tony Robbins seminars you go to. Only Jesus can transform your life. Period. So here's the thing as we, as we come to a close. I don't know what storms are going on in your life. I know obviously we are in a storm here at Turning Point. But there's probably storms, no doubt, going on in your life. I don't know what they are. Jesus knows what they are. And God is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over your storm. It is not meant to destroy you. It's meant to humble you. And the faster you're willing to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, the sooner he can lift you up. Because that's his desire. He wants to lift you up more than you want to be lifted up. That's, that's his heart. Because he is a good, loving, and merciful God. And he loves you so much.
And he has a destiny for you. He has a destiny for each and every person in here. But you can't walk into your destiny if you believe a lie about yourself. Because the lie will prevent you from receiving that which God wants to give you. So tonight, I just want to give you the opportunity to turn it over to Jesus. To humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so he can lift you up. And in the midst of the storm, he can say, peace. And here's the thing. He may not speak to the storm itself. He may just speak to you and say, peace. Because the circumstances are irrelevant. It's you he's after. It's your character he wants to change. We want our circumstances to change, and Jesus is saying, nope, I want you to change. Because the thing about destiny is, it's not about your circumstances being perfect. It's about you going into a circumstance and bringing the kingdom with you. That's what destiny is all about. It's not about one thing. It's about becoming the type of person that Jesus can trust with his kingdom and sending you into a circumstance and you bring the kingdom and become the influencer rather than the influencee. That's what destiny is all about. All too often we, we get this thing, I've got this one thing I need to go do at some point in my life. No, 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 no. It's right now, baby. It's right now. It's right here. It's developing you and growing you to be an influencer, a victor, rather than a victim. So would you stand with me tonight? So as we close, I want to give you the opportunity to humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. That's what he's after. The way up in the kingdom is down. It's down. And it's humbling yourself. It's turning it over to him. And it's admitting your inadequacy in order to experience his sufficiency. And maybe your filter tonight, you realize, woof, man, it's that sucker's dirty. I need to get this filter cleaned. And maybe tonight you may you need to make a renewed commitment to be in the word every day. I don't know what your problem is, but I know the answer. It's Jesus. It's transformation. It's the power of the Word of God being made life in you. So I want you to just take a moment, close your eyes, and let's just take a moment with Jesus. Maybe tonight, as you've heard these stories, and you think about that, that, that story of, of the disciples in the boat with Jesus, maybe you, you realize, you know what, I'm not even in the boat. I'm out in the water somewhere. Because I've never, I've never entered into that relationship with Jesus to be in that boat.
So tonight, maybe you've realized, you know what? I need to get in the boat. I need to enter into that relationship because there's all kinds of storms in my life and I can't handle it. But I've heard of this Jesus who can transform my life and I want that in my life. So tonight, if you've realized you're not even in the boat, and there's no condemnation for that, Jesus is, is calling you. He's reaching out and bringing you up into that boat tonight. If that's you tonight, would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand and say, you know what, tonight I need to get in that boat. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So those of you who raised your hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray this with me. And we're all going to pray this, and we're going to pray it together. But tonight you're going to step into the boat for the very first time. So pray this. Just say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that tonight you are inviting me into your boat. And tonight I accept that invitation. I believe Jesus. I believe you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You rose from the dead to overcome the penalty of death. And I ask you tonight to be my Lord and Savior. And as I enter into this boat, I ask you to help transform my life. And I thank you that you will do it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now for those of you who just tonight, you just need to reset some things. I just want you to, just right now, just ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask the Lord to, to reset your filter. And if, if, you know, you, you've been ruled by your emotions, you've been ruled by your thoughts, just tell Jesus tonight, you know what, I'm sorry. But I'm asking you now to transform my life. Speak peace into my life. Father, tonight, Lord, I thank you for your presence here. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things. And Lord, I pray a blessing on each and every person here tonight. Lord, I pray a special blessing on those that tonight for the very first time stepped into your boat. But Lord, I pray for all that are here tonight, Lord, that you would, Father, you would sovereignly move in their lives. Father, you would raise them up. Lord, in the midst of their storms, you would speak peace over them. And Father, I pray that you would continue to give them a hunger for your word. Lord, you would confirm your word in them every single day. And Father, I just declare tonight, I declare over every single person tonight, Lord, first of all, that they have a kingdom destiny in Jesus. 
And Lord, I just declare that their best days are not behind them, that they are, in, they are ahead of them in Jesus' name. And that despite the storms, despite the, the circumstances, Lord, we thank you that you are currently orchestrating the circumstances of our lives to drive us to destiny. Just like the disciples, Lord, that storm prepared them for the next step of destiny. And Lord, you, you are preparing each one of us tonight for that next step. So I thank you for that. Lord, I pray a blessing on each and every person here tonight. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand tonight.